Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, everyone. Marcel here. Before today's episode, I want to tell you about a new show that we are loving at Witch Please Productions, the Culture Study Podcast with Anne Helen Peterson. If you don't already know it, I'm convinced that you're about to fall in love with a new podcast. And this is coming from me, Marcel, someone who famously doesn't really listen to podcasts. Culture Study is a podcast about exploring the nooks and crannies of the culture that surrounds us. Each week, Anne and a super smart co-host will answer listeners' questions about the stuff they find interesting and perplexing, like, why do clothes suck now? And... Is Paw Patrol copaganda, or is it not that deep? And, like, what's the deal with everyone I know getting a divorce? Just like Anne's tremendously popular newsletter of the same name, Culture Study Podcast is funny, insightful, and kind of weird. And it's guaranteed to help you become the most interesting person at parties. Listen to the Culture Study Podcast every Wednesday, wherever you get your shows. Who knows? Maybe you'll recognize some guests in the coming months. I feel like I should go. I do do do. Never do that. (laughs) Don't do that. (laughs) Oh God, the '90s were terrible. Hello and welcome to season two of Witch Please, a fortnightly podcast about the Harry Potter world. I'm Marcel Cosman. And I'm Hannah McGregor. As you heard from last week's episode, this season is all about our interactions with various fan type things to do with Harry Potter. So we take our spectacular critical analysis and apply it to the ever-expanding and amorphous and beautiful world of fandom and we talk to people who are in some way shape or form involved in that fandom and this episode has me visiting the Fogo family in Calgary, Alberta as we talk about what fandom means to them as a family and as individuals. Let me tell you, you have never wanted to be in a family the way that you want to be in the Fogo family. I can't even handle how much I want to be in the Fogo family. Aww. They just enact love in this way that is so inspiring. Oh my god. I wish I wish I had the words. All I can tell you is that I wept like a baby just being in their home as they loved me like a family member. Uh, will you tell us what your original connection to the Fogo family is? Yeah, that's a great question. I went to McGill for my undergrad degree uh, in English with Chandra Martini, who is the daughter of Cheryl Fogo. So Cheryl Fogo being the kind of matriarch of the family. I mean, they self-identify as a matriarchy. You will hear that in the recording. 
and Chandra is one of her daughters. And so she and I became friends during our undergrad. We both volunteered for the Sexual Assault Center. And one of the really cool things about our friendship and the the types of friendship that I think come out of that kind of organization where like people come together through a kind of shared commitment to ending violence in a very like care-based way is that you continue to like feel very affectionate and loving towards people even if you're not able to like maintain close close relationships over long periods of time so a couple years ago when we started the podcast Chandra got in touch with me because her family had started listening to the podcast and was like you've got to hear this you've got to hear this podcast this podcast is so great we're going to talk about it because we love Harry Potter and Chandra was like I know Marcel (gasps) we go way back (laughs) I had the great privilege of meeting um, some members of the Fogo family at the Yule Ball in Edmonton this year um, where they came en masse and uh, I did not know at the time the story of the fact that this tremendous and wonderful family gets together to listen to episodes of which please and then talk about them for hours and uh this was revealed to me alongside uh cheryl the matriarch of fogo family giving me a stern talking to about the fact that we are um, sometimes ungenerous with rolling and that we are not fully aware of the realities of what it meant to be a woman authoring young adult fiction in the 90s in a time when it was really hard for a woman author to break into the YA market and that Cheryl thinking from the perspective, Cheryl herself is an author and thinking from the perspective of being a writer, the different ways in which she had compassion and empathy for rolling as a person. And, uh, I immediately thought like, Oh shit, we need Cheryl on an episode. And we already talked a little bit about FOMO. Uh, a couple of episodes ago but when Marcel told me she was getting together with the Fogo family to record a conversation I was like I just would like to be adopted please oh I'm really glad that you brought up the fact that Cheryl is an author because I think we should plug her books if you're interested in reading Cheryl Fogo's work Here is a list of her books. I'll Tell You the Good Things First, a novel. Hiding Place, Essays on the Black Prairie Experience. Dear Baobab, This is What Happened to Me, a children's book. Pouring Down Rain, One Thing That's True, and I Have Been in Danger. You should definitely check them out. She's a Canadian author, screenwriter, and playwright. I would like you to tell me about everything. Um, Tell me, uh, where did you meet? Um, What was the setting like? Uh, What were the smells, the sounds, the tastes, the feelings? Let me start by saying that I had flown into Calgary that morning from Vancouver because I'm a fancy lady and I was running on like three hours of sleep we met at Chandra's house um I remember the color like a really beautiful shade of blue just like a soft but very soothing blue I just remember feeling really at peace in that space also because they take feminist praxis very seriously 
There was pizza, chips, and wine. (gasps) I know. I know. Pizza, chips, and wine. Yeah. Yeah. It was great. Oh my gosh. This is a really important thing to add. So uh, the combination of me being just like overwhelmed with the awe and beauty of this family and deeply lacking sleep. (sighs) I actually forgot to turn my recorder on for about the first half an hour of our conversation. (gasps) Now, because this family is flawless in every possible way, uh, Miranda Martini, who is a musician, also a genius, um, she had brought her own recording device so that there would be a backup recording. And so... Miranda had her microphone in the center of the table to get the whole conversation, and it was recorded directly onto her laptop. So when you listen to the actual audio content, um, the first half an hour-ish is going to sound different because people didn't have the microphone. They didn't have it at hang 10 distance, so to speak. Yeah, you know, those conversations were really great and we really wanted to keep them. So that's why the audio is going to sound a bit funny. Uh, And also, Miranda, thank you so much for doing that because I was so embarrassed. Oh, I would be really interested to hear you talk a little bit about like what fandom is like when it is something that's refracted through a family. Mm -hmm. When we saw them at the Yule Ball, Mm -hmm. it was a special event that people like get dressed up to attend right and so it is not unexpected that somebody would be dressed in their house robes for example at an event like that you can kind of like go all out in your fandom whereas I was really interested in how their lived experience of fandom would come out in this in this sort of setting which is in itself an event in a sense because it's not like a conversation that you have sitting on your couch with somebody who you live with it's like you know a planned get together there was something that was so lovely about just seeing the harry potter things in chandra's home and like the harry potter things that people brought out that are either like a thing that they normally have with them when they get together as a family to talk about Harry Potter or that maybe they brought out for the occasion that was the recording of the podcast, but that wasn't like a performance so much as things that that really marked our get together with a sense of occasion, like Mm -hmm. Christmas crackers Mm -hmm. or like like a, a matzah cover or something like that. Like there are ways that the get together is made is made sacred in a way or yeah. sanctified. Yeah. And so it was... I say ritual. Like it feels like ritual. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it was definitely, definitely that. Beautiful. Yeah. Do you have any thoughts about how fandom and ritual might connect? Like, do you think that there's something ritual-like or sacred about the the way people practice fandom? I wonder if people who are religious in a different way from me might feel offended by this, but I think that you could really, yeah, fuck them. I wonder if you could really think about certain kinds of religious practices as like fandom, right? Like, Mm -hmm. like is Christianity in certain senses, not like a real fandom for Jesus Christ, you know, like we're going to need some feedback from listeners. I know we have listeners who are, 
who are religious and particularly um i know that we have like i was gonna say i was gonna say listeners who identify strongly with jesus and that's not how you say it when you are a normal person who's not a literary critic you could just say christian because there's a word for it i know we have christian listeners and i would be genuinely curious like if you say that like you know i i would love to hear from from any of you for whom religion is a big part of your life about how fandom and the sacred interconnect for you but like so for you specifically marcel in your experience of religion what do you think there's a connection between those things yeah, I think so because I think the way that I understand the way that I understand Judaism in my life is a kind of ritual and practice. Like I am somewhere in between an agnostic and an atheist in the sense that I like don't really I don't really think that there's someone watching all the moves that I make and I don't really think that there <laughs> Yeah, this is not sting. Break. every bow you break every, every step you take every Bond you break, break i'll be watching you it's a really creepy song and nobody should play it anymore it's about God. is it i think it's about a stalker though i don't know if i've ever mentioned this before in previous episodes where we've talked about judaism but I did a lot of theology during my undergrad and I remember somebody explaining at one point that one of the fundamental differences between Judaism and Christianity is that Judaism is characterized primarily by orthopraxy whereas Christianity is characterized by orthodoxy. Can you explain that? I sure can. So orthopraxy is right practice and orthodoxy is right belief. And so Judaism is about ritual and it is about going through the right series of gestures and practices to mark your faith. And so there is space within Judaism for doubt and questioning and raging against an unjust God, or even wondering if that God exists at all. There's a great A.M. Klein poem, The Rocking Chair, about this. Um, Whereas Christianity, and this is again, sweeping statements these are like you know undergrad theology class statements um but in comparison christianity is about right belief right so it is about faith more than it's about practice it's about you know it is more important what truths you hold in your heart than what rituals you practice outwardly which you can historicize as part of a way of the roman empire convincing gentiles that they could become monotheists without needing to get circumcised (gasps) that's a conversation for a different day but as a pagan i always felt this sort of identification with judaism and with the orthopraxy of it with the like it's nobody's business what's in your heart your heart can be full of rage and doubt all the time it's about the sort of not only the comfort of ritual, but the way that ritual brings you together with communities. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing, right? That the suit through gathering and enacting a ritual, we say we are part of this community. We are part of this group. We are sharing some, something sacred between us. And that feels for me like a, a space where the sacred and fandom overlap, yeah. right? That like we might be different in so many ways, but here is a, a way that, our lives overlap and we can set this space aside and and have this thing in common that marks our lives that marks a moment in our lives out from the day-to-day and there is you know we'll talk about this in 
in later episodes, but there are events and spaces within fandoms that do feel like they're something akin to the sacred. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. I think that practice is one of those things that um, we tend to turn to ritual when we need some kind of structure, right? Ritual provides for us a way to get through things that are complicated or get through things that are hard or scary or get through things that we don't want to be doing but have to do anyway. And so there's a sort of, there's a sense of certainty and of endness when you undergo a practice of something, right? Where it's like, I know that this will be over when I get to this thing, you know? And like, I can't, what's a good example? Let's say that you're at a wedding and it is so boring and you hate the couple who are getting married. You have to go there because of some obligation. You know that as soon as they exchange the rings, it's almost over, right there's that sense of like oh thank god we're here (laughs) it's almost over right there's a sense that this this will end because it follows a practice it follows a ritual yeah and so I, i don't think that talking about fandom in this way discounts the the very real and and important function that ritual plays in people's lives I think that fandom is a really beautiful way to think about how we can take ritual and apply them to and apply it to all of the things that bring us joy and peace and um, excitement right and so if you are a family and you enjoy Star Wars together maybe when the new movie comes out you get dressed up in whatever character costume inspires you or whatever and you go to see the movie in costume like and Harry Potter is the same thing and I wonder if what we find so remarkable about Harry Potter is that it's a new thing that we have seen develop whereas for our generation Star Wars had already been a thing when we were born and so it's like so like when people get dressed up as like princess leia to go to a star wars movie it's like well yeah people have always done that but at some point they didn't at some point somebody was like i'm gonna dress up like princess leia to go to this movie and what we're seeing with harry potter is a very similar thing Yeah. yeah speaking of the sacred and a sense of occasion would you tell us a little bit about the gift Yeah, yeah. So just to be clear, they gave us both the same gift so that we would both cry. No, they didn't give it to us so that we would cry. They gave it to us because we we would love it. And they're good, righteous and just and beautiful people. Uh, But we both we both wept. I actually cried when Hannah was looking at hers because I went through the emotions all over again and I wasn't sleep deprived in the same way. So we got we got a couple things. We got one, um, a chocolate frog making kit, which included molds for chocolate frogs and chocolate chips and uh, a very fine and fancy spatula and and a recipe card so that we could make our own chocolate frogs. And then we also each got a Hogwarts professor kit. (gasps) So just to sort of explain the background, shortly after Donald Trump was elected and everything was terrible and a lot of people were going through a lot of experiences of grief and, and struggle and confusion and terror and, and it was a really hard time for a lot of people. 
Cheryl made for her daughter's defense against the dark arts kits, which um, she, I, she will, she'll talk about in the episode, but the Hogwarts professor kits are very, are similar in that these are things that are made with love to help you through a time. And, you know, Hannah started a new job in Vancouver at SFU and is in a new city and I'm finishing my dissertation and trying to, you know, be a human in the world with a child and not filled with dread and terror. And these are kits to welcome us into the world of Hogwarts professordom to mark the work that we do in this podcast as instructors and teachers and mentors and Hannah's crying. Um Okay, the first thing I want to talk to you about is the box. This is a handmade box, and uh, it has a top and a bottom, as as a good any good box should. And it has been um, tossed around, and it has been burned, and it has been waxed, and it looks like it's really gone through the ringer uh, in order to demonstrate its authenticity of something that really truly holds a bunch of magical things. This is, I think, a really good example of a thing that is, this is actually magic in the real world. Hannah just took the lid off of her box and took a deep breath and then sighed with what was maybe a combination of, like, gratitude and pleasure. I don't even know. I don't even know how to express it. It just, it just, it just spells, it just spells special. (laughs) It does. It really does. It's, it spells super special. Um, so we both got these little books that have our names on them. So this one says Professor H. McGregor, uh, instruction manual and notebook. And it identifies all the things that are in the, in the box. And it explains like some of the rules at Hogwarts, things that, things that we should be aware of. Why don't you talk a little bit about how you felt when you opened the box? Because I told you it was okay to cry and you didn't know what I could possibly have meant by that. Marcel was like, it's okay if you cry while you open this. And I sort of gave her this look like, yeah, okay. Like, I'm not really a crier, Marcel, which is hilarious because yeah, I am. Yeah, yeah, I super am. Um, And then like two seconds in, started to cry. But I took, I was like halfway through reading the, um, the like uh, instructor manual and notebook when I paused and I turned to Marcel and I said, what could we possibly have done to deserve this? Like what we know, there is no, there is nothing we could have done to deserve the level of care that this gift represents. Um, but here is what I will say. I will say that I think the point of gift giving is always community building that you give gifts to form bonds with people that you give gifts to say like, you know, not only I care for you, but also like here is some connection between us and that, you know, over the past year, as I've started to not only sort of participate in the Harry Potter fandom via this podcast, but also to actually like theorize and talk about fandom and sort of think more about what it means. It's become this real, like, like fandoms are, communities in a way that is real like gift giving is real and so opening this box and going through it made me feel this real visceral connection to this family 
that I don't know, but that I felt like, oh, you are saying to me that like, I am part of your community in some way. Right. Like, and that's not a thing you earn. That's not a thing you have to do something to deserve. It's speechless making in a sense. Like we don't, cause we talk about this. We do talk about this all the time. This like very silly podcast that we made as like a a friendship project. And as the community has grown and as people have reached out to us to express, as people have reached out to us and, and made themselves vulnerable by saying, you said this thing and it hurt me. And then we have to, we have to look in, we have to look inside ourselves and like rethink about like the ways that we understand the world and how we talk about the world and that. And we feel a sense of accountability. Um, I don't know. I don't even know how I got here, but I think the thing that I'm trying to say is that, um, Receiving a gift can in so many ways be a very intimate experience where like somebody is like, here are my feelings that I have turned into a creation for you. Mm -hmm. Or here are my feelings turned into a thing that I saw that I thought you would really like. And I, and this is what I think of you. Mm -hmm. And you can't like, you can't, you, you can't really do it justice, uh, talking about it in a podcast. It's, (laughs) It's a very strange experience. Um, but in my tarot reading recently, I, I, I learned that I have to do a better job at acknowledging the, the things that I do in the world. And so I think that like, like recognizing that we both have put out into the world, a thing that is a thing that brings joy is, is important and good. Just yesterday, I was saying to Marcel that for all of the forms of self-doubt that I, like everybody else, have, when somebody tells me that they like Witch Please, I'm always like, yeah, of course, it's perfect. Uh, And I was, I think I knew, like, you are more of a perfectionist than I am. But I think that I knew that you feel more, like, less like, yes, it is perfect. But when you actually said to me, like, I just can't imagine feeling that way about something, I was like, well, but Witch but which place is perfect. It's a perfect creation. It's flawed, but its flaws don't undermine its perfection. And I think that it's perfect because of this like community of listeners who have like done something with it, who have turned it into something that would never, ever, ever be if it was like, it would be perfect in a different way. If it was you and I hanging out and having a conversation about a thing we liked, the thing that makes it feel miraculous is like the existence of, a community of people who listen to it and talk about it and sometimes talk to us about it, but also like exist beyond the limits of what we see on the comment section and on our Twitter feed of just like people out there, like people out there doing whatever the fuck they want with it, being mad about it or being excited about it or using it to have conversations with their family or their friends about things that matter to them. Like that's the thing that makes it feel like, whatever however we feel about the quality of an individual episode those are the things whatever people do with it is perfect and that's the thing that makes it feel sort of miraculous the the complicated thing for me about meeting with the fogo family is that ostensibly it was going to be a meeting where i was going to ask them to talk to me on mic about what harry potter means to them as a family but there was no way to get around the fact that they as a family are fans of this podcast and that it was always also going to be about what this podcast means to them as a family and they talk about what this podcast means to them as a family and because I'm a person who has trouble 
hearing that I have done a good job if it isn't a small like sliver of a larger criticism of everything I've done wrong. I often don't know how to respond to that kind of thing. But I think that the Fogo family is really good at hearing positive feedback because as I was experiencing the opening of this box and the pizza and the wine and the chips and just like so in awe of how generous and loving they are, I just kept saying over and over again, you are all so nice. You are such great and good people. And their response was, we know. And it wasn't we know in a like, yeah, we know. It was a like, yeah, we put a lot of energy into being good people. You can't just be a good person in the world without trying to be a good person. You like pay attention to the things that people care about and you do those things and you make the world a better place as you do it. I'm crying again. I'm going to give the microphone anyway. Marcel, you put a lot of energy into Karen, the the things that you do and you make the world a better place through the stuff that you do. Get out of here. You do. It's true. It's true. All right, now that we're crying again, sorry, the secret theme of Witch Please season two is weeping. And on that note, let's uh let's let's go and meet the Fogo family. <laughs> I'm just gonna do a little bit of explaining to kind of set the stage so that people listening will know what all the sounds are that are happening. Mm-hmm. Um, how, oh, actually, before I do that, how should I just, what, what is, what is the, what is your family name that you like to, is it, what is it? When we're together, I think we're Fogos, yeah? Yeah. 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 Okay. We call ourselves mm-hmm. the Fogos. Yeah. Okay. Great. So I'm here with the Fogo family in Calgary, Alberta, and we are gathered around their dining room table with Lots of chips and wine, <laughs> and we had some pizza because pizza is also very important to uh, feminist discussions. <laughs> and so you will hear things like glasses clinking and things being set down on the table, and hopefully chip bags ruffling <laughs> and the sound of chips being being crunched exactly. Um, and that is uh, our contribution to feminist cultural production. (laughs) Um, So what I would like to do first is pass the microphone around and if you could introduce yourself and say, maybe say who you are in the family. Um, So I will start with Chandra, who I know from light years ago. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I am Chandra Martini. I would say that this family qualifies as a matriarchy and in that sense, I identify as Cheryl Foucault's daughter. I'm Miranda Martini, and I'm Chandra's sister, and also a daughter of matriarch Cheryl Fogo. <laughs> <laughs> and just because I feel like it's relevant, I'm a Hufflepuff. Oh, oh, oh. oh. Um, Chandra again, I feel like I should say that I'm a Ravenclaw. I am the aforementioned Cheryl, <laughs> <laughs> and I am a Gryffindor. Hello, I'm Rochelle, and I am Cheryl's niece, and I'm a bit bitter to say that I am sorted into Hufflepuff, but I believe the sorting hat would have taken my choice into consideration and made me a Gryffindor. (laughs) (laughs) Hi, I am Jordan. Um, I am brother to Rochelle and nephew to the legend. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm kind of the 
I guess you could say I'm the the glue of the family. <laughs> <laughs> Take the mic away. <laughs> I am Darcy Bogle. I am I definitely self-identify as the uncle. Um, I have brother to Cheryl, and like my niece Rochelle was sorted officially into Hufflepuff, but I'm a Gryffindor wannabe. So <laughs> no, I am no let, let it let it be said that I am I have become a proud Hufflepuff. <laughs> Let's hear what Jordan's house is. Cedric. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, what's your house, Jordan? Uh, yeah, I too was against my will sorted into <laughs> Hufflepuff. Um, I believe I boast the the bravery of a a mighty Gryffindor. Well, you, you I didn't... thought you were a Slytherin. No, no. <laughs> That was all time. Yes, all time. <laughs> oh, that's great. Oh, that's this is this is wonderful. So, so Miranda, you are the source of Hufflepuff pride in the house. <laughs> I right? guess yeah. so. The sole <laughs> source. Yeah. Attempting to inspire, inspire. Yeah, inspire the Hufflepuff pride in your Hufflepuff coven mates. Yeah, I do my best. Yeah. <laughs> um, I would like to start by asking you, and you can answer this in any order of uh, participants. Um, Harry Potter, the series, is obviously something that is important to you as a family, and it is a way that you as a family come together and bond. And so I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about what it is about the series that brings you together as a family. This is Darcy here. Um, I was, uh, well, I was a latecomer. I didn't start reading the books until 2009, mm-hmm. June of 2009, <laughs> uh, to be precise, and uh, these guys always had so much fun around Harry Potter events. Um, they used to go to all the, you know, when the new book came out and the new movies came out. And I, I don't, I don't even, for reasons I can't even explain, I didn't jump on board uh, until until two thousand nine, as I say. But I, I knew one day that I would. I knew that I'd read the books one day, and I think these guys can attest that. My love of Harry Potter started immediately, <laughs> um, and so it it felt like another way. I mean, we're, we are very close as a family, but it, it felt like just another deeper bond. I mean, we we go on trips together to Wizarding World of Harry Potter. We we have Harry Potter. We have, we watch or listen to I should say this podcast and then <laughs> meet and discuss it and. We have a Harry Potter sleepovers, yes, bro. Um, so it, <laughs> uh, just it's a huge part. It's a huge part of our family. Rochelle, can you tell us about the sleepovers? Yes, of course. We have them. I would say we try to have them at least once a year, although we haven't for a bit. Well, we yeah, we used to have them more. Yeah, we used to have them more. Anyway, so generally speaking, we make something from the world, um, some sort of treat. Like Miranda made cauldron cakes one time, <laughs> and they were delicious. And then we geek out and dress up sometimes, watch the movies, or we read passages from the book, and we discuss, and then we have a big old sleepover. They're the best. Yeah. Super fun. I would say that that Harry Potter is just a really big source of joy for all of us. It's one of those things that it's just something that we're always talking about and doing, and we often play, How would, what is the Harry Potter 20... Or questions. 20, 20 questions in during road trips and yeah so it's just a part of our life all the time you look like you have something to say I was just gonna talk a little bit about how we sort of developed into a Harry Potter fandom family 
I loved reading. This is Cheryl. I loved reading when I was a kid and I loved fantasy. And when I read fantasies, especially as I got older, I had to do, I had to go through a whole process of um, deconstructing the racism that I experienced in books that I actually loved. So when I was really young, I loved the Narnia series. When I was older, I loved the Lord of the Rings. So when my kids started reading fantasy novels, I had, we had to have conversations around the racism that they would encounter and make sure that it was something that we talked about. Whenever my kids um, got into a fantasy series, I had to find out about it or else read it to just see, you know, what would they have to do around that because mm -hmm. we're, we're people of African descent. And Miranda got the first Harry Potter as a gift in grade four. So I read it for that reason so that I would, you know, and it was the very first time I ever encountered a series where uh, black people were actually present in the narrative and where I felt I could safely leave my children in that world. So, you know, obviously they're not perfect, but that was, I think, one of the reasons that we bonded as a family around it was because that I felt safe with it because, um, because we were explicitly named as being present in the world we were, of course, able to imagine imagine ourselves there, imagine ourselves at Hogwarts. I always imagined myself as alternatively Dean Thomas's mother or <laughs> Angelina's mom. Um, I've named Dean's mother Brenda, by the way. <laughs> yeah, so that's kind of a big part of, of what bonded me to the series and, um, and allowed me to enter into that world in a way that I had up to that point never been able to do with a fantasy series. Yeah, Ma, I feel like at some point you're going to have to expand on your thoughts about Dean Thomas because mm. there's a lot. There's a lot. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he's, he's my favorite character in the series. Yeah, we all love Dean. Uh, Miranda here. I got the first uh, Harry Potter book when I was in grade four, and at that time I had just switched to a new school, and it was a big, imposing sandstone building. So reading the Philosopher's Stone, I think it was the Sorcerer's Stone I had, but whatever, reading it when I was in my first few months at a new big fancy school where I got lost a lot, I, I was just like able to see it as Hogwarts and it felt suddenly really magical instead of scary and all of my interactions with new classmates felt like fun adventures. So it was a really necessary book for me at a time when I was uh, lonely and figuring things out and finding my feet. Hmm. Um, so at first it was a thing that I kind of enjoyed by myself and it felt like this this special important thing that was just for me but then when the rest of my family started reading it it actually became way more fun because we started having to buy more and more copies of all the books as they <laughs> because we had to be reading it simultaneously and it was just it was untenable if we were trying to share one copy um, and you'd find people's copies and be able to see where they were in the book uh, when they were left around the house. And then, yeah, we had a renaissance when Uncle Darcy came on board in the Audis, and then we were all going to Harry Potter film release parties and dressing up. It just became more special over time. Yeah, that's true. I would say... I would say it's more special to us now than it was when we originally read the books as kids. Would you agree, family? Good word. Mm -hmm. Sure. No. <laughs> no. 
it's a truism that as you get older, your relationships to your childhood mm. loves change mm-hmm. over over the course of growing and maturing. Um, so what is it about your relationship with Harry Potter that you would say has um, flourished now that you're all adults instead of children? Mm. I'm sorry, I'm mid-chip. Um, <laughs> Good and right. Moisten it. Yeah. <laughs> you just kind of create those, those yeah. good mouth sounds Droid, um, I actually wonder if you want to talk about this because I have a distinct memory of you being resistant to the books and it was like in your early adulthood where you got interested and I think before you even read the books you made my mom describe them to you so that you would, yeah. would know how they ended do you yeah. want to talk about your yeah, well, personally, when I was a kid, I was not very interested in in reading or imagination or anything like this. And I wasn't recording. How far back? We practice now. Well, yes, now we're getting our stride. Yeah. Oh yeah, Miranda has recording. Oh, like... thank God. <laughs> I am recording, so we do have this. I'm so underslept. I screwed up the recording, but fortunately, Miranda had the foresight to have a second microphone. Yay! So um, you will now notice that the the sound of this conversation is shifted slightly, but everything we said previously is still true. Uh, I interrupted Jordan, and so I'm going to let him go back to that after this brief interruption. This public service announcement, <laughs> during which I say, I'm, I'm super sorry, everybody. <laughs> so I, I think I was going to say, um, and this is just a little personal thing too, not that it's a, a bad thing per se, but in some ways, you know, I do feel just in terms of maybe interests and and personality, uh, I might be kind of the black sheep um, (laughs) of the family. Uh, This family is, is, is very into the arts and, and politics. And I'm more of a kind of a sports fan and uh, video games and, and whatnot. So for me, Harry Potter has coming into it as an adult has given me kind of a, a common ground or, you know, a common interest with the family, I don't think by any means you need to have all the same interests to be close to people or to love people um, or anything like that. But getting into it as an adult has just been, it sounds kind of cheesy or whatever, but it's been about investing in the family, I think. Um, and Harry Potter did a, did a great deal to kind of awaken my, my imagination. And it was one of those things where it's like, oh, now I get why people enjoy this. <laughs> like I've told myself, I'm just going to read one more chapter and yet I'm not able to, to kind of put this book down. So what was the original question? <laughs> that was very sweet. No, that was really great. Um, I just want to jump on top of what you said, George, because I think that actually applies to me. It probably applies to all of us. And I think, I think it probably applies to a lot of Harry Potter fans. Um, like when I, started reading Harry Potter for the first couple of years, I was actually Harry's age. I sort of grew up with Harry and it started out as kind of a, an individual love affair. Like I fell in love with the world and it just so happened to kind of coincide with my mom and my sister falling in love with the world and my cousins. And 
but as an adult, it's it's quite clear to me, and I think especially once the Harry Potter Fogo Renaissance occurred <laughs> with Uncle Darcy joining and Jordan, because you were a late a latecomer as well, oh. it's become about the community. I think Harry Potter functions as uh, like a touchstone for us. Like it's one of the one of the things that we actually like make time to come together over because it's, it's complicated now with people with families and work and stuff. But we like, we have the Harry Potter potheads thread, the text thread. And like, we, we have the sleepovers and like, we all managed to be here today. Um, and it's something that functions as like a source of connection between us. And I think in, in my adulthood, it's also about connection with the broader fandom community. So as much as I do love rereading the books, I think it's really about the role that that world plays within, you know, like-minded people who also kind of came to this world and fell in love with it together. Mm-hmm. Uh, a couple of things I wanted to say, because I was an adult when I read them, uh, a big part of my evolution with the books is that it was a way of celebrating books and reading with the whole world. In some ways, I observed the phenomenon from the perspective of a writer, because I love books. That's what I do, too. I write stuff to try to connect with people. So for me, part of it was going out to midnight parties to celebrate with people all over the world who are doing that because of a book. And I really believe in children's stories. And it's one of the things I love about the Witch Please podcast, is the acknowledgement that children's stories are everything. Stories are everything, and it starts as children. So that was part of it for me. My relationship with the books has evolved in that way. And the other thing I wanted to say, also picking up on something Jordy said, is that we have many family members who are not here today. We're a big family, and not all of them are Harry Potter lovers. Some of them haven't read Harry Potter Some of them are Harry Potter likers. (laughs) And then we have, like, Rich, who hasn't read them, and I don't think he's seen the films, but just enjoys, you know, so he has come. Lots of our Harry Potter likers and non-readers have come on our trips to to, uh, Wizarding World and whatnot, and (laughs) we just have so much fun because Rich loves us, and so he, you know, joins the conversation, but he gives himself away by talking about, Hermione (laughs) and that kind of thing so yeah it's something that we've shared that is about who we are as a family and isn't necessarily only about the Harry Potter series some of my best memories of being Jordan's aunt are being in the swimming pool for four hours (laughs) while he made me tell him every single thing that had happened in the new book because that was I was his Coles notes and I was okay with that I desperately wanted him to read them because I want everybody in my family to read but um but I was okay with you know it was it was about me and Jordan it was about my relationship with my nephew Um, I feel like we should also, on that note, we should add that we're missing from our uh, Potheads Club, Ben, Rochelle's husband, who couldn't make it today, but he's he's definitely part of the... Is he a liker? Is he a Harry Potter liker? He's a lover, yeah. Yeah. So I have this really distinct memory of going to a midnight release. I can't remember which book, but we were... We were young, 
and a magician was there, mm-hmm. and he put, um, do you remember this? Yeah. He put two pom-poms in my hand, and then I closed my hand, and when I opened my hand, like, 50 pom-poms <laughs> came out, and I was like, maybe magic does exist. <laughs> so, for me, was it Order of the Phoenix? Oh, good memory. So, for me, Harry Potter, when I was a kid, was about the magic of the world, and it was so much fun, and now growing up, uh, it's really been a lot about critical reading, yeah. and um, that's really changed how I, especially thanks to the podcast, how I um, view everything that I'm consuming in literature and in television and all that sort of thing. And so that's been a really fun journey for me because I went through a, a kind of a period where I just didn't want to read anything anymore because I was like, ugh, I have thankfully learned um, to enjoy what I'm reading, but still think critically about it. And I think that that's been a really precious gift. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, that makes me think um, of another thing that has enriched my Harry Potter enjoyment as an adult. And I think it's quite recent. We're living in quite scary times politically. And Harry Potter is this very easy available language of resistance um and this is this is something that the podcast has certainly given to us um or enriched for us but i think the civil rights movement had the staples singers in the 60s and i feel like we have harry potter memes a little bit (laughs) um so it's it's just been this way to talk about things that are really hard to talk about and have a language to describe really uncomfortable feelings that we're feeling um in a way that everybody can can get at and everybody can understand Mm -hmm. so that's been an important part of my adult journey with harry potter marcel i think that i possibly learned the most about critical reading um in the family listening to um a witch please when i first started listening i um was hyper i think these guys can attest like hyper um uh, what's the word um no, I was defensive uh, about uh, any criticism of of Harry. It's funny because I, well, not funny, but I consider myself as having quite a sharp feminist analysis. And the the business of Harry um, being... An unreliable narrator. Well, an unreliable narrator and perhaps symbolic of the patriarchy or... Um, <laughs> Yeah, lacking empathy, those those kind of things I really resisted initially. But the more I listened and the more discussions we had about it, it became a really um, cool way of looking at, at the books. And as Rochelle said, I'm far more critical in, in that good way uh, <laughs> uh, about uh, a lot of the other art as well that I consume, so... That's, yeah. That's a really touching thing to hear. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Tying in with what you both said, something that I love about Harry Potter in the way that it, you know, it works in my own brain is that it simultaneously is a really fruitful text to unpack stuff like that, like to think about critically, and yet it's also available to me as just a sort of uncomplicated, naive like source of comfort and strength and and I you know frankly with what's been happening um in the world in this past year I completely unironically and simply draw on it as like 
you know, other people have been afraid before and have yet been able to, oh boy, (laughs) Um, have been able to come together and stand up for, for the things that they believe in when it seems kind of futile. You know, it's both a rich text to um, kind of take apart and and think about critically, but it's also, you know, it can just it can be uncomplicated and simple and at the same time. Yeah, after the U.S. election last November, um, many of us in the family felt like we had been attacked by Dementors. I was saying that to you earlier. So for Christmas, I made for my daughters a Defense Against the Dark Arts kit that contained many things. And one of the things it contained was a playlist of, I guess, about 30 songs or so, where I had taken a song from either the civil rights canon or, like, I'm kind of stuck in the 60s and 70s with the R&B music, the greatest music that's ever been made. (laughs) And um, so... The Harry Potter series gave me a way of connecting with my daughters over the last few years about what was going on in the world that would always remind them that their mother loves them, that we are bonded, and that we will persevere. And one of the songs that I put on the playlist is actually so symbolic of the civil rights movement that I wouldn't want to, in some ways I wouldn't want to trivialize it by just throwing it out there as the uh, as Dumbledore's army theme song but it is the song that I chose for that aspect of the series uh, it's a song called ain't gonna let nobody turn me around but that was my message to my girls Nobody is going to turn us around. Nobody is going to take away the hard-fought gains that we have made in society. fascism theme that runs throughout the books is is so relevant to to what's happening across the world right now central theme of the Harry Potter series is bigotry, hatred of others, Uh, and even though it hasn't always been successfully executed in the series, 
and there are things that I'm still waiting to have evolve, I hope, in a positive way. Who I am as a person and the life that I've had and, and my own personal activism and my way of expressing that in the world was very visible and available to me in the Harry Potter world. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. For this playlist, I wrote a little mini kind of postcard fanfic about why, how that song related to the series. And in, and in some of the, the, these little stories that I gave the girls, I didn't put everything, you know, like it would have been much longer if I had put it. But so my notion of, of that song is that um, Dean actually steps up at that particular DA meeting, and that for Dean, because in in my expanded world of Dean's life, his mother, we know, is a muggle, and his father is a, was a, a wizard, and he disappeared because he had to protect his family. He was being hunted down by Death Eaters, and that's why he disappeared when Dean was a baby, but neither Brenda, <laughs> Dean's mom, or or Dean know this. My notion was that Dean is actually leading that particular Dumbledore's army meeting. And for Dean, because his mom is my age and she loves the same music that I do, that is a song that Dean grew up with and that he associated with resistance. I just also want to quickly add that, you know, it's no accident that this is resonating for us as, you know, resonates with the civil rights movement. I think Rowling grew on various different instances in history of, of, of yeah, resistance, resistance against yeah. oppression. Hi, baby boy. We're going to take a pause so I can meet this baby. <laughs> I think I already did this, but just in case I didn't. So, so we have been joined by a little boo bear. So if I get distracted, or if you hear a loud thump, it's because I've just given Julian my tripod to play with. <laughs> Which he's currently chewing on. Wow. Yeah. Do you want to be on the podcast? No, that's probably... Okay, I'll focus. Focus, Marcel. (laughs) Are there other things that you put together with Harry Potter in a kind of um, cultural, we'll say mashup kind of way? This feels like a bit of a shallow answer, but I do group it with Lord of the Rings Mm -hmm. a bit. Not in terms of content, really, but more in terms of the ways I've enjoyed them. 
my mom and I would read aloud to each other on the beach, and I remember like knitting uh, on the beach in the sun while she would read to me, um, and then later on car trips reading it and like having to take turns because turns because we kept uh, crying at our most emotional parts. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like it, it's they're both bound up with sort of family experiences and also with travel. And uh, so I I sort of group them together in that way and they sometimes cross between them and interact. Perhaps you should speak about your bracelet. (laughs) Well, should I speak honestly about the bracelet? Um, I'm not quite sure how that's related, but I can tell the story of the bracelet. So I I work as a stage manager, an assistant stage manager, and... It's very time-consuming to put together your book, which is just your script. And, you know, I mean, you have to do various things on your script. And the first day of rehearsal was uh, on a Tuesday. I can't remember what show it was. So I had to be up, for me, very early in the morning at 7.30 in the morning, I think. I could not put down... I think it was book four. I think it was book four. I literally could not stop reading it. And 7.30 was was, was, uh, looming closer and I still hadn't put together my book before first day of rehearsal (laughs) and so I said to myself what would Hermione do and I said she would she would do her homework so (laughs) I shot the Harry Potter and I I put together my book and so two friends of mine were very amused by that story and so they got me this bracelet that is WWHD stands for what would Hermione do Um, but I was telling this to I was telling this. Story. I I didn't connect it to what would Jesus do. I I didn't oh. I didn't know about the what would Jesus do movement, and <laughs> I was telling this story to my very religious mm-hmm. or Aunt Pearl. I was telling this story, and she was most unamused <laughs> because she because she thought I was making fun of, of, of Jesus, which I wasn't at no. all. But I think in terms of cultural mashups, I think it's ironic that. Harry Potter has been sort of vilified and censored by um, a lot of, like, the Christian powers that be, um, given how much it draws on, like, a Christian narrative of sacrifice Mm -hmm. and and whatnot. Mm -hmm. So I I think that's very available, um, and I think that it does operate in our family because we we do come from a religious family, everyone to various different degrees. Mm -hmm. But I know, like, I think about you, especially Uncle Darcy, in terms of how Harry Potter, like, operates as kind of an ethic, especially in your first reading. It was just super powerful for you in terms of, like, you know, what is goodness and what is bravery and what is... Maybe you should be the one talking about it. I was asking these guys earlier if, if they had to, could they narrow down what the essence of the books means to them. As a little backstory, I, uh, I saw an interview with, with J.K. Rowling um, on Oprah, and Oprah asked her the same question, and the word she used was loss. And for me, it would be friendship. The, the friendship between Ron, Hermione, and Harry is, in my opinion, the, the best example we have of what real friendship should be or is with all its... Yeah, uh, ups and downs. Uh, you know, they they don't always see eye to eye. They fight, but they love each other dearly. Sometimes I'll be driving. This is where we have to admit how nerdy I, just how nerdy I really am. Uh, and my my eyes will start welling up thinking about certain things that that Harry or 
Ron said to each other, or Hermione or, and Harry, and Neville and Luna, and, and how much friendship, the friendship between the um, Dumbledore's army means to them. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, so the, the books touch, touch me on a very, very emotional level. Jord, I wanted to ask you, because you had mentioned earlier that um, you are the resident sports fan in the family, although I like sports too. Did you make any connections between the wider world of sports fandom and sports culture through the Quidditch in the series? Yeah, I would think that for me personally, I think book four was when... I kind of took a leap between enjoying the books and and loving the books, and I think a large portion of that was, you know, because of the Quidditch World Cup, and that was just very re- relatable. Um, you know, I'm a I'm a big soccer fan, and so when I was reading book four for the first time, that's where I saw myself fitting in. I think I saw myself at the Quidditch World Cup, and with the Weasley twins and, and stuff like that. And so... We would definitely be friends with Yeah, yeah, I'd be, I, I think we'd get, get on, as they say. Um, I guess for me, Quidditch, like at Hogwarts, almost reminds me of college sports. When, when I go to Harry Potter events and I see, you know, that the Quidditch teams that, are, that have sprung up are playing, you know, like the, the Quidditch team members will actually go strutting by like jocks, <laughs> like with their you know, their um, uniforms and stuff, which I think is fantastic, and I love it. You know, it's like, it's how jocks <laughs> stride by. And um, the other thing that I've loved is the artisan movement that has sprung up, so that's why I like to buy things that Harry Potter geeks have made because they're beautiful works of art. So I have two wands, one that I bought for myself when... Nobody was looking at an event that we were all at. And unbeknownst to me, Miranda and Danny had bought one for me to give me for Christmas and had told Clem, don't let mom buy a (laughs) wand. But I actually went back to the event the next day and (laughs) bought myself a wand. But I love, yeah, and I bought you one also. Um, I love supporting people who create art. And in general, I find the Harry Potter fandom to be quite nice people and and tend to be people that I like to support. And I wanted to talk really quickly about the food of Harry Potter. Mm. (laughs) Because food is very important in our family. And actually, our holiday gatherings remind me a lot of meals at the Great Hall, except for that instead of house elves, it's... My aunt and my mom. <laughs> and all of us. We all help. One of the things that I recently did is a Harry Potter cooking class, except for it wasn't called that, so please don't sue me. Um, yeah, and... Unspecified and, wizard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Generic wizard cooking class. <laughs> and it was so cool because... I mean, a large part of it was my family because we're... We were a target audience. We were a target audience, yes. But there was also... You know, like young, they were probably 18-year-olds, and there was another mom with her little son and her 10-year-old son. And and it was so fun to see how food, which is very kind of cultural, related to the Harry Potter world, and we made um, treacle tart and pumpkin pasties. Pasties? Oh, no, I can't remember. Pasties. And then we did 
make your own frog chocolates, which is where your thing came from. So anyway, it was so fun. Yeah. And if you look, if you look for one second on the internet, it's just explosive how many recipes for butterbeer there are. There's a cookbook that just came out full of both traditional English food and specific to the world. And I just think that's a really kind of fun intersection into Harry Potter as well. I would like to ask you guys more about the things that you've created, specifically the beautiful boxes that you put together. (laughs) Yeah, so the the Fogo family gave to me as a gift, both to me and to Hannah, these really beautiful, I don't even know how to describe them. They are so, these, these boxes are so beautiful that I just assumed that they got them from an official, like, top-notch, high-quality Harry Potter official. I know I already said official, but, like, it, they look really legit. Stickers, man. Yeah, and there's wax. Anyway, they're just, they're so great. Talk to me about putting those together. I'm going to get it while you start talking about it, and we can actually have, like, a show-and-tell without the showing. <laughs> I'll take pictures of it later. So basically a tell-and-tell. Tell. Well, it's Harry Potter, so like a spell-and-tell. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Well, the idea came to me when I went to the Harry Potter fair that was down at, um, yeah, the East Village Harry Potter fair, and somebody there was selling herbology class kits, and I bought one for my goddaughter, but then I thought when, you know, when the election happened and Christmas came, I thought I could make something like this that would be really specific to a person's life. And I wanted to make them for the girls. So I um, spent days driving all over um, looking for just the right box and thinking very deeply about what would, what would you need as a Defense Against the Dark Arts kit? What would you have to have in it? And going through the series and, and saying, of course, you'd have to have some Honeydukes chocolate in the event of a Dementor attack. <laughs> so, so sometimes the things in the boxes are specifically referenced in the world and sometimes they're just sort of things that are inferred about the world. One of the things in the girls' box was emergency muggle transport uh, so Chandra's was a, a gas card because she has a car, and Miranda's was just money for Muggle <laughs> bus. bus. <laughs> I really enjoyed doing that, and of course it brought the girls a lot of delight. So then I made them for my other nieces. Some other nieces. <laughs> don't worry, don't worry. Your your day will come, my dear. Don't you worry. Um, Yeah, and then when we thought about, when we were thinking about being guests on this podcast and how much joy and delight we've gained from Oh Witch, Please, but also how much it has deepened our conversations around politics, feminism, racism, and also the great gift of knowing that you can love something very much and still be critical of it. It's that that's a huge gift and I don't know why it didn't occur to me before. <laughs> I I was always embarrassed actually about my love for Lord of the Rings because it's it's a racist text. Mm-hmm. So it it really helped it gave me a way to acknowledge that there are things in it that are for me and uh and that I can take those things but that I can also be critical of it which I have been and as I said which I was with my girls as they were reading it. So we thought it would be a great thing to give to you and Hannah as uh, a way of saying thank you. And so we talked about, we went back and forth on our Potheads thread about what would be in a professor's, a Hogwarts professor's kit. (laughs) 
And then I have found a place in Calgary that um, has these boxes. And when I get the boxes, they're new, but we beat them up and uh, make them old. I don't want to take the magic away from them by talking about how we make them. But, um, Use magic. Yes, we, well, I mean, they, you know, Hogwarts is cheap and they recycle their boxes, right? And so they get stained and, yeah, yeah burned and they get candle wax dripped on them and everything yeah so we just had so much fun um, figuring out what would be in it and then finding a way to make that happen so I'm going to read what this says it says welcome to Hogwarts your supply kit contains most of the potions powders instructions tips and classroom guidelines that will support your success as a Hogwarts professor Additional supplies can be obtained at Slug and Jigger's Apothecary, Diagon Alley, or from the store cupboard in the potions classroom. <laughs> supplies list continued. <laughs> classroom accident and cauldron burn salve, one tube. <laughs> Felix Felicis, one vial. Use only in accordance with ministry regulations. Essence of Dittany, one vial. Wart cap powder, one shaker. Supplies list, continued. Restorative draft, not to be used during classroom hours. <laughs> you can't hear this, listeners, but <laughs> wink. <laughs> oh my goodness, this is... <gasps> Mandrake restorative drafts. It's so that you can scream. <laughs> I mean, among other things. That's so great. Oh my god. Emertentia vial, bath or diffuser formula, for self-care only. The use of amortentia against other beings is restricted. <laughs> Important. Anti-amortentia kissing concoction lip balm. 100% effective. <laughs> Supplies list. Continued. Veritaserum spirits. One vial. Flavor undetectable. Subject will not know they have received truth serum. Pepper up potion. Infused jam. Honeydukes best chocolate. Keep on hand at all times in event of Dementor attack. Supplies list. Continued. <gasps> Plagiarism detecting quill. <laughs> Sound cancelling earplugs. Note, use sonorous charm to switch to amplifying mode when on corridor patrol duty. <laughs> Supplies list. Continued. Emergency skeleton password key will unlock all Hogwarts doors in the event of forgotten password. Dark magic tampering, peeves mischief, etc. Designed to fit in inner pocket of Madame Malkin's robe, number three. <laughs> Dress code. Black robes, ankle length, neatly pressed. Patches permitted, fraying is frowned upon. <laughs> Scouring charm must be applied twice weekly. Turgio as needed. Pointed black hat must be worn on first day of term. No other hats permitted. Trousers optional. <laughs> Pedagogical guidelines. <laughs> Under construction. <laughs> the end. <laughs> I think Miranda needs to weigh in on what is Ro it? Robegate, Robegate. Yeah. Yes, I've I've been looking forward to this moment for so long. 
Um, I have lots of feelings about Rogue Gate, and where I'm at right now is that it's not consistent and is part of the political undertones going on at Hogwarts. I think that wearing pants under your robe is connected to how interested in pure-bloodedness you are and how anti-muggle you are. Mm -hmm. I think that there would be a certain faction of hardcore anti-muggle students at Hogwarts and in the wider wizarding world who feel like pants are too much of a concession to muggle fashion and so they refuse to wear them and something something looms before industrial revolution um so they just wear their yellowing underpants or whatever um i'm trying to make it consistent because like how are they getting their underwear made if they're mm. resistant to pants do they knit them themselves Anyway, I I feel like that's where it breaks down. So you have your Snapes, who are, as a student, was resistant to wearing trousers um, because he so rejected his Muggle heritage. Um, And then those who are more comfortable uh, moving in and out of the Muggle world or who are of uh, mixed mixed heritage feel much more comfortable in Muggle dress. This is a really exciting and inspirational moment for me. Maybe that's why James Potter flipped Snape upside down because he knew he's the kind of person who doesn't wear trousers under his robes. Oh my goodness, you guys are so good at reading. (laughs) Holy moly. God, that's so good. Okay, I also want to talk about the chocolate frog making mm. kit. And so, Rochelle, is this from your cooking mm-hmm. workshop? Yeah. Can you tell me about it? Sure. Okay. You can actually get the chocolate frog molds from Amazon. It's the, actually the only place I could find them. And essentially, you melt chocolate and you coat the mold and then you fill it with whatever you want and then you pour chocolate over top. And they're great because they make little frogs. But if you go online, you can find graphics to make the chocolate frog boxes that you see in the movies yeah you can make peppermint frogs and all sorts of good stuff it's delicious and delightful I have different varying sizes of them but this is the mini one so it comes with the chocolate frog molds and then um, wrapped in a ribbon is the instructions a little scraper spoon that you can use to stir the chocolate with. And P.S., those are made with nylon, so if you're doing it on the stove, you can leave it in the stove and it won't melt or burn or stain or anything. They're amazing. Yeah. And then magic. magic. It's my magic wand pampered chef (laughs) thing. (laughs) And then it comes with chocolate as well. My aunt already talked about there was a Harry Potter market that happened in Calgary that was like super well attended and they were supposed to have a Christmas market so I was hoping to sell them there but um, it didn't happen because they couldn't get permits or something like that so anyway we're fingers crossed that it will come back because there were so many neat things there you talked about the potion kits there was wands scarves and headbands and this is where I got Miranda's radish earrings yeah I, I am currently wearing Luna Lovegood's radish earrings and you also got us mom um hufflepuff and ravenclaw colored uh ear warmers and they're amazing 
I wanted to ask everybody here a question, just going back to something we talked about much, much earlier, which was about Miranda identifying as a Hufflepuff and how hard it was for you to get the rest of the family to accept that because we had branded you a Ravenclaw. You seemed like an obvious Ravenclaw to me. And one of the ways that I came to accept Miranda's Hufflepuffness is through realizing that if a person was equally gifted across all four spectrums, Hufflepuff would be the only place for that person to be. And I, I'm sorry, Hufflepuffs, that I had to you know, go through a process of, <laughs> of finding a way to, to accept that when I, when I thought Miranda was so obviously a, a Ravenclaw. But I love, I love that, that understanding of Hufflepuff. Yeah, just interjecting... Um, Coming out to my parents as queer was much, much easier than coming out as Hufflepuff. <laughs> it, that was a process. Um, <laughs> it was accepted much more readily. <laughs> I wanted to ask everybody how you feel about the films. Because for me, the films so dropped the ball in terms of representation of people of color and particularly characters that I was so looking forward to seeing too, like um, Dean Thomas, who the, the actor that they cast was just truly the embodiment of Dean Thomas for me when I saw pictures, and then he's just like nobody. The notion that he could actually be somebody's favorite character in the whole series is, is ludicrous. So anyway, for me, the films are a nice way to visit the world visually, and I'm also delighted by the casting of the three principals and some of the professors, but that's all. The films are a major, major, major disappointment and source of anger for me. <laughs> uh, and just wondering if there's something I'm missing. Because, Darcy, you're a huge film fanatic. You're, you're an expert on film. No judgment because I've said that I, I'm filled with rage about them. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, I, uh, I'm not a film buff, but I think of them sort of... Uh, as fan fiction a little bit and they're kind of an interesting take and a nice visit to that world but since the films have come out there's been so much amazing fan fiction that pushes back against a lot of their casting decisions I have a race bent Hermione courtesy of Chandra on my wall and so I just feel like the the films are just a piece of a huge world of different people's visualizations of that world so I guess it it doesn't trouble me that the movies don't reflect what I see in my head because I can see I can see what's in my head just by searching on Google. I also see the films as um, like a giant collective work of fan fiction. You know, I, I really wonder what happened there because to me it's very obvious like with all the problems that do exist with the books, it's a very conscious departure from classic fantasy uh, which is white uh, usually male and, and extremely objectifying of people of color whereas these books I mean as I say you know not that there are not problems but I think immediately when we read them it was like oh wow like she's made a point of including people of color in here not I don't think necessarily as tokens as much as as sort of signals that this is a world that is similar to the world we live in, in which, like, there are all different kinds of people. And then in the movies, there's, like, this weird conscious choice 
to erase all of that. Mm -hmm. And I just wonder, like, what happened there? Because, you know, there's been a lot made of how much Rowling had to do with the making of the films. It's confusing for me. Um, But one thing that I love about the films is, um, like, when we went to London and, and to the Warner Brothers studios, I was so moved by all the little, like, just the little posters and models and clearly it was just a labor of love on behalf of thousands of people to bring this world into being and so for me that's like that's the good that comes out of the movies it's not so much like the movies themselves it's like all the little details are people coming together and like bringing this world into being Um, and so for me it's a collective act of fan fiction it's also a place to convene when I talk to other Harry Potter fans like, not even fans, just strangers on the street, I'll stop and say, are you a <laughs> Harry Potter fan? So I'll start a conversation, like, oh, you're a Harry Potter fan. Like, oh, I love Harry Potter. I've seen all the movies. And I'm like, uh. have you read the book? <laughs> and they go, no, no, I haven't read any of the book. It's, it's amazing to me how many people are out there that really do love the movies, mm-hmm. because I always, I, I don't see what they get out of them. This might be controversial, but the <laughs> movies are quite important to me. As someone who came in late to actually reading the stories, I had basically watched all the movies before reading the books, and they really helped me. Like, one of my issues historically with reading has been when I'm reading a description of a place or of a person, I can't quite see it. Um, I don't really know what that person looks like. I kind of maybe understand what the ministry looks like, but it's just not quite there. And so, I don't know, for me, the movies are are very helpful um, in that sense. I kind of do the reverse where mm-hmm. I often like to watch a movie first just so I can kind of get a base understanding of what something might look like. And then I read a book and, and then I can kind of say, oh, you know what, I agree with the movie or I disagree with their interpretation. And I find that that um, really helps me. So I think I actually was maybe one of the few that fell in love with the movies mm-hmm. first. And, I mean, I was quite young as a lot of the movies were coming out, so I, I don't think I was bothered by the fact that maybe some of them aren't the most brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> but for me, they're, they're pretty important to, to my Harry Potter journey. So, But it's interesting, George, because I, I'm almost the reverse. I don't want a fixed image in my head when I'm when I'm reading the books. So, for example, Hermione, who is a character I I dearly love as much as I love Emma, um, what's not to love about Emma, I I almost have to go to other depictions of of Hermione's and Harry's and Ron's because I don't necessarily want to picture Emma when I I read Mm -hmm. Hermione. So sometimes the visual actually gets in the way the, the visuals of the movies that actually get in the way of my, my own imagination or how I envisioned a character like Madame Maxime. Oh, yeah. This, Come on. This isn't... <laughs> no, no. Epic fail. Epic fail. So a lot of my early experiences with the film were saying, no, that's not what so-and-so looks like. Mm-hmm. It's like this. But I didn't really realize that I didn't have a voice for Snape in my head reading the books mm. until the movies came out mm-hmm. and now the voice of Snape is just, mm. just Alan Rickman yeah. and I'm yeah. f- completely fine with that it appears that there is a connection between the Dark Lord's mind and your own whether he is as yet aware of this connection is for the moment unclear pray he remains ignorant you mean if he knows about it then 
He'll be able to read my mind. Read it. Control it. Unhinge it. Uh, and yet sometimes the casting can be wrong physically, as you pointed out with Jim Broadbent as Slughorn, but the actor just so gets it. He so understands what he's supposed to be doing that for me now, when I read the books, Slughorn has become Jim Broadbent. The last thing I wish to be is indelicate, but acromantula venom is uncommonly rare. Would you allow me to extract a vial or two, purely for academic purposes, you understand? Well, I don't suppose it's going to do much good now, is it? My thoughts exactly. To me, the movies are just a lovely celebration and time to be with my family and yeah. our friends who love it. And it's, I think you may have said this already, but it's just really nice to visit the world. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's uh, lots of drudgery in life, and it's just lovely to see magic and to experience Hogwarts. One of the things that has been so mind-blowingly touching to both uh, Hannah and me, um, hearing the way that you as a family listen to this very silly podcast that we make and that we, you know, where we get a little tipsy and swear a lot, but that brings to you as a family opportunities to, to talk and talk uh, very intimately with each other about these ideas and, and stuff was just such a such an incredible learning experience for us. It was so moving. So I think what I really want to ask is, can you tell can you tell us a little bit about just walk us through what it what do you do and how much is it like what we've been doing now? It's a lot like this. I mean, we sit around and there's usually some sort of nice treat and drink. Yes. We all have notebooks. Yep. If we're having what I would call a formal pothead meeting, is what we call them, um, then we each generally bring a question that we want to ask the group, and then we take turns discussing a bit like a book club. But we also have a text thread where people will pose questions. What was, there was a really interesting one recently. (laughs) Hi, baby Julie. (laughs) Yeah, this is, something that we do both informally and formally and sometimes it's really silly and we'll say like I'm thinking of something and then then we'll play 20 questions I think we talked about that already too and we try to stump each other with our trivia I was um, on my computer and just saw as a little sidebar that two lady scholars were coming to the U of C and I had missed it it had happened the day before so then I, I don't know, what's that? And I went and I listened. So I must have gone back and listened to a previous one because that one wouldn't have been uploaded yet. And I sent a text to Chandra and Miranda and said, you have got to listen to this podcast. And then Chandra wrote back and said, I went to school with Marcel. <laughs> and I was like, what? Anyway, so then we started, uh, we went back and started listening to them. <laughs> and... Um, the three of us started talking about it all the time and then other people got interested and so we um, we've done it a couple of ways sometimes we've had podcast listening parties where we'll listen to something and then we'll stop and say okay what are your thoughts about that and we've I've got a notebook full of notes just from the podcast and then from our meetings about the podcast <laughs> so that's <laughs> Darcy's still looking for uh, that potheads thread. So that's one one way we've done it. But we've also listened individually and then gotten together 
for a meeting to say we're talking about episode 10.5 today and um we've had some great conversations so for example with cursed child many of us were deeply disappointed in the play but it was it was the podcast was way more interesting as as a play as a as a as a theater text it is absolute garbage <laughs> and i'm i'm worried that people who don't know anything about theater will read that that i think that's how you write a, a play and i'm i can't wait to hear what hannah thought of the play because it may be that visually the, the script they used for the play is very different from that but the podcast about the script was fascinating and was fodder for a much more interesting conversation than what we had been able to have about the the play script itself. That's kind of how we structure our... In an official... <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm just going to blatantly do a shout-out to my friends Ashley and uh, Laurel, who I have also made, with, oh, which please, um, fanatics. Uh, I've just found one example of just one very small example on our Podheads um, text thread. So Ro said, wow, listening to which please and mind-blowing with Dumbledore being a Slytherin. Cher says, I know, what do you think of it? <laughs> Shandy says, no, I refuse to accept it. <laughs> Rochelle says, but it makes so much sense, Shans. Then I just asked, which, which please was that? Isn't it established that he was in Gryffindor? <laughs> and then Cher says, yes, Hannah and Marcel think he was misplaced. And Rochelle says, just like Harry, it's episode 12.5, blah, 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 the last episode talking about the last book, and on, yeah, and on and on and on for that. There's many, uh, many a thread like that. One of the things we've talked about often is how finding out you're a witch or wizard when you're muggle-born really means the death of your family life. And so we've had a great deal of discussion around how Hermione, for example, just grows more and more distant from her parents as as she becomes more involved in that world. And so recently I was listening to the episode about why Hermione has trouble with um, Expecto Patronum, and we, we have had a very long discussion about that, and we think she suffers from anxiety and possibly even a mild form of depression. But also about, I was listening to the episode where you were talking about how Hannah is so... Um, caring toward her parents the way she cares for them is as opposed to how Ron cares for them when they're about to leave on the journey. Did I say Hannah? Yeah, Hermione. 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 Yeah, they're both so smart. <laughs> they are two smart ladies. I actually was wondering, and actually I was going to send it out on the Potheads thread to get your responses to if, if that was actually a kind of a relief for Hermione. She is so distant from her parents by the time book seven comes around and if on some level yes she feels their pain is probably so great because of how she no longer belongs to their world and they cannot belong to hers if in some ways there's a relief about sending them off to Australia possibly to never ever think of her again the podcast gave us an opportunity to formalize what we were doing anyway because we all read the books at different times and our rereads are out of sync, having a podcast that is like being released on a, on a schedule allowed us to sort of have a new text 
to discuss not only Harry Potter, but all of the the new thoughts and feelings that we were having because of the podcast. So yeah, I mean, it formalized a discussion we were already having and gave us an excuse to get together and bring dossiers full of questions (laughs) that we've been saving up. One thing that I really picked up on and was like, yay, Hannah and Marcel, um, the fat shaming that I, uh, that I feel goes on throughout the books. It was a semi-conscious thread that I picked up on as I read the books, but it wasn't until, again, I, I guess you, you guys affirmed just how blatant it is, mm-hmm. and, I, and I find that, that a flaw. Which, hopefully someday, she will evolve out of, and I shake in my boots every single day about stuff that I wrote and was published that doesn't stand up to <laughs> who I am today. That's right. one of the reasons why I empathize right. with her. I feel that way about papers that I've written in the past that I'm just so glad that publishing isn't a thing that undergrads can do. (laughs) I just wanted to briefly touch on the dark side of our Podheads community, which is those of our family who are not in Harry Potter. (laughs) And how that creates somewhat of a, I mean, it's not, not a big deal, but like, there is, I think, a certain, like, in-crowd. Um, We're the in-crowd, and we disclose them, Mrs. They are welcome. <laughs> <laughs> but for some reason, they do not choose to join us. Um, but yeah, like, I, I think about my husband, who is really not a Harry Potter fan, really, really resistant, and I always joke about it being, like, the biggest problem in our marriage. <laughs> but it's, it's not really a joke. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what really more there is to say about that, but just um, if this particular podcast is about Harry Potter fandom and community and family, that's a thing that happens as well. To be clear, we love the rest of our family very much. I love my husband very much. Um, I just simply don't understand people who don't like Harry Potter. Um, I struggle to. I struggle to. What I want to say to them is is learn from me. Learn from my story. Because I resisted for whatever reason. I, I hear from people that say, oh, I'm not, I'm not into fantasy. And I go, you don't have to be into fantasy to love the Harry Potter books. Trust me. You will enjoy them. And they will give you immeasurable pleasure. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening to Season 2, Episode 2 of Witch Please. You can find the rest of our episodes on ohwitchplease.ca or follow us on Twitter at ohwitchplease. If you're new to the podcast, you might not know that we have merch available at society6.com slash ohwitchplease. Thanks, as always, to our literally erstwhile tech support and the literal current childminder and robot of our hearts, Trevor Chow Fraser. I'm pausing for the sound effect. Hi, how are you doing? And now it's time for the first of our two closing segments, which please tell me. Take it away, Todd. Bless Todd. Which please, which please make it make sense to me? Because a muggle in me just wants to know. Oh, oh. Which please, which please make it make sense to me? 
because the muggle in me just wants to know. All right. Our question this episode comes from Hannah B. That's uh, HB Banana B on Twitter, who asks us, how did you two meet? What is your witchy friendship story? I mean, who knows when we actually encountered each other face to face because the world is a is a vast and magical place. But the first time that we both really remember meeting and becoming friends, this is really like the birth of the friendship story, was at the uh, University of Guelph's English and Theater Studies uh, departmental get-together at the start of the term back in, I think, 2010. It was being hosted by then-chair of the department, uh, Mark Fortier, and his partner, and it was catered, so there was lots of wonderful, gigantic bottles of Ontario white wine and pickled eggplant and olives. And anyway, the point is that uh, we were very drunk and we were grad students. And so we were grad students drinking free wine. Anyway, we started talking about some notable professors in our field and making some uh, silly and disparaging comments about them. And we really bonded over our similar disdain for uh, one professor in particular uh, who will go unnamed because it is a small world. This person does not listen to our podcast, but like somebody listens to the podcast who knows who that is. So we just won't say who it is. But anyway, the point is we knew that we had found our kindred spirits through our mutual dislike of this one person and everything that that person stands for. I just really love that we bonded through... Not only through misandry, but specifically through a sort of profound shared disdain for a prominent and well-respected, generally well-respected scholar in our shared field. (laughs) It's like, we did not come together over a book we both liked. We came together over a man we both thought was overrated. And I just feel like that's that's a really important origin story. Which please, which please, make it make sense to me. Because the muggle in me just wants to know. Don't forget, if you have any questions for us that you would like answered, um, they can be about the episodes, they can be about any aspect of Harry Potter, or they can be about any other damn thing you want to talk about, tweet at us, hashtag which please tell me. Now we have for you some results of the Tri Witches Tournament. Similar to the Twitter list, we won't ever really be able to read all of them and so we shout out each person um, when we get the hashtag on Twitter we want to make sure that we like spread that exciting accomplishment Um, but what we're going to do on the podcast is just highlight a handful and this week we have Stephocracy who told a friend that uh, they had been struggling with mental health for months and the friend's reaction was me too so mega shout out to Stephocracy and to everybody who is taking their mental health in hand, which is a very important and very complicated and many, many, many layers of difficulty kind of thing to do. Next up, we have at Geeking the Thing, um, who, after living in an apartment for three years, has finally put up lamps in their living room and library. It is 
is so hard sometimes to take the time out of your busy schedule and actually take care of your home and do the things that make it feel like a home. I, for one, if I don't do stuff within the first month of moving into a place, it's like, that's never, ever going to happen. So congratulations on taking the time to uh, do some home improvement. Okay, and third. Oh, sorry. These are not ranked. I don't mean third in the sense of like third place. This is just like the last one that we're going to read to you today. (laughs) These are all non-hierarchically fantastic. We have Morgan James 84, who has phone anxiety, but nevertheless called their Republican senators to urge them to vote against the health care bill. That's awesome and inspires this fortnight's task of the Tri Witches Tournament, which is to choose a small and feasible political action to take. So maybe that involves calling up a representative of some variety. Maybe it involves participating in a protest if you are able to do so. Um, maybe it involves making a small donation if that's something you're capable of doing. Maybe it's writing to a representative or circulating a petition. Whatever the thing is that is within your means, it really is the small political actions that we take on a day-to-day basis that make a huge difference. So choose a a doable task and then let us know on twitter that you've done it using the hashtag try witches that's t-r-y witches before we move on we want to give a special shout out to just brenda p on twitter who has been going through and responding to everybody's try witches tweets with these really beautiful gifts and congratulations and thoughtful responses and it's been So wonderful and so beautiful to see. So keep it up, Brenda P. We will see you in a fortnight. But until then... Later, witches! put that at the end after the